Well, today we are saying goodbye to basic. Today is the last day in 2 Peter. We have been studying 1 and 2 Peter since the beginning of the year, uh, since way back in January. I believe we started on the 7th of January, somewhere. It was way back then. It's hard to remember. But we've been in 1 and 2 Peter for quite a while. Uh, but today we're saying goodbye. Today we're bringing the study of the basics of the foundations of our faith uh, to an end. So we're going to be uh, finishing uh, as we talk about Second Peter chapter 3 today. We're talking about the return of Christ. We're talking about what's going to happen in the last days. We're going to be talking about Second Peter chapter 3. And uh, Peter describes the, the return of Christ in two ways. And so we're going to talk about those two ways that he describes it. People in Peter's day were wondering, well, when is Christ going to return? Just as people today are wondering, when is Christ going to return? Is Christ going to return at all? He seems to have left us here. And sometimes we feel hopeless. Sometimes we wonder, is, is Jesus ever going to come back? We get impatient. Now, I'll tell you right now, Peter does not give us any dates. He does not give us the time of Christ's return. For Jesus himself said, that no man knows the day or the hour of his return. Even when Jesus, when he was here on earth, didn't even know. Only the Father knew when he would come back, when he would return to take us to our heavenly home. But Peter reassures his audience that yes, indeed, Christ will return. He will come back. It is a promise. It is a guarantee that just as he left, he will come back. In Acts chapter 1, uh, the disciples were looking as Jesus ascended into heaven, and the angels told them, why are you standing here looking up into the sky? This same Jesus will return in the same way that he just left. So it is a promise from God that Christ will return. He will come back. Now, if you have a Bible, if you can locate a Bible, turn to Second Peter chapter 3 as we talk about what's going to happen in the last days. And also, turn to the back page of your bulletin to the HDO, and we'll fill in some blanks starting now. The first blank on your outline this morning is the slowness of the Lord's coming. The slowness of the Lord's coming. Now, if you want to put slowness in uh, quotation marks, uh, it's, you can do that too. But it's the slowness of the Lord's coming. In other words, it's not really slow. It's just our perception of things. The day of the Lord, 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 9 as we begin. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to homeless, to wholesome, not homeless, slidexic there for a moment, to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters, also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Peter says that there will be doubters. There will be scoffers. 
There were people who would say, where is this coming that he promised? Why is he being so slow? Well, you know, they'll say that the end of time is not near, that, you know what, it's, it's not going to happen. Things are going to go on and on and on as though nothing is going to happen. And people will live their lives as though nothing is going to happen. There will be those who not only deny that Christ is going to return, but they will deny Jesus altogether. They will live as though they have all the time in the world. And you know, sometimes we're guilty of the same thing. We live as though we have all the time in the world. We live as though Christ will never return. We'll live as though, a lot of times we live as though we're never going to die. And we just live our lives willy-nilly, day in and day out, as though nothing is ever going to happen to us, as though Christ is never going to return. There will be some who will say that Jesus promised to return soon, but he is yet to return and probably won't. And they will use it as an excuse to deny Jesus Christ, that he is the Son of God. But Peter says the Lord will return. Jesus will come back. It is a promise of Scripture. He will come back and he will be the judge of everyone. Everyone who has ever lived, everyone who ever will live, Jesus will come back and he will bring judgment with him. Peter wants us to understand something very important about God's timing and about God's ways. The Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. That the ways of God and the thoughts of God are higher than we could ever imagine. That the ways of God are completely understandable. The infinite mind of God is completely incomprehensible to the finite mind of humanity. That God's ways are not our ways. And so what we perceive as slowness, God says that it is patience. It is literally, the Greek word is long-suffering. That he is long-suffering with us. We live in impatient times, don't we? Everything is available at the click of a mouse or the touch of a button. We can do anything we want. You want a, a burrito? You can buy a burrito at, the, uh, at uh, the, the grocery store. You can buy a burrito, uh, like a frozen burrito at the grocery store. And in two minutes, you can have burrito ready to go uh, in the microwave. Just put two minutes, hit start, and two minutes. And what do we do? Two minutes? i got to wait two minutes for my burrito? When are they going to create a microwave that can burrito, give me a burrito in 60 seconds? 60 seconds? We hate to wait. We're impatient people. Like I said, everything is available at the click of a mouse or uh, on your phone. All the information in the world. I did, a re- I did a little bit of research on end times prophecy to see how many websites are there devoted to end times prophecy. I typed in the words in Google, end times prophecy. 12,900,000 websites dedicated to end times prophecy. You know how long it took me to figure that out? About seven seconds. And I sat there as the little hourglass flipped up and down. And it's like, when is this thing going to finally answer me? But again, everything is available at the press of a button, at the click of a mouse. We live in impatient times. We don't want to wait for anything. I mean, you go to the grocery store, you get in line, and there'll be two people ahead of you. And what do you do? Where do you have to be that you can't wait for the people in front of you to get their milk? 
can't they open another line? Or how frustrated we get when we go to the grocery store? And what is it, one of the first things I do, I'm a very, very impatient person. I, I'll, it's one of my many character flaws, but I am an impatient person. First thing I do when I walk into like a Walmart or something, I glance over. How many cashiers I got? How deep are the lines? Oh, man, this is going to take forever. Anybody else do that? Yeah, okay, some of you, good, we're all in the same boat. We're the same impatient boat that's never going to get there. But we're impatient people. We want Jesus to return now. I've had it. I am up to here with this life. I'm up to here with all the pain and the struggles and the frustration and the, the evil and the wickedness. I'm, I just want Jesus to come back now. Let's go to heaven now. Let's go. We're impatient. We don't want to wait. But God says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. You don't understand the principle behind this whole thing. You don't understand what's really going on here. Peter says that the Lord, what appears to be slowness is patience. It is God's patience. In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, Paul wrote, Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance? In Romans 9, 22, Paul wrote, What if God, choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath prepared for destruction. God is patient, even when we are not. God is patient with us. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 through 16, Paul wrote, Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. It means you'll never be higher on the list than number two. So you may think, I'm the worst sinner in the world. Nope, Paul took that title for you so you're you're at no worse number two um but he says but for that very reason i was shown mercy so that in me the worst of sinners christ jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life jesus came to save sinners by dying on a roman cross and we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. And if we will believe, repent, confess, be baptized, we will be saved. Paul says, I am the worst of sinners. I am the worst sinner that ever lived. I was persecuting the church. I was putting Christians to death. I'm the worst sinner that ever lived. And yet he says, Jesus had unlimited patience with me. Unlimited patience. God is patient with humanity. The Bible tells us very clearly that God doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. That's exactly what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. God wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Every day that Jesus doesn't come back, we may say, oh, when's he coming back? Is he going to come back next week? You know, what, the Mayans were obviously wrong, so when is Jesus coming back? Every day that he doesn't come back, every day that he tarries, every day that he waits, every day that he is patient with us is another opportunity for somebody to come to faith. I was reading about Central Christian Church in in, uh, Las Las Vegas, Nevada, and uh, they had their baptism day, uh, I think it was last week. Um, They had over 930 people baptized last Sunday. How awesome is that? If Jesus had come Saturday... 930 people wouldn't have been saved. But what happened? 
One more day, another opportunity. Another opportunity for somebody to hear the good news. Folks, we know people, right? We know people who don't know Jesus. Jesus doesn't come today, it gives us a chance to talk to them about Jesus. Jesus doesn't come tomorrow, it gives us another opportunity to talk to them about Jesus. It is so important that we share our faith with everyone who doesn't know Jesus. That's why we do that mission statement thing every week. It's not just to fill time, but it's a reminder, that weekly reminder that we are supposed to be making disciples who love God, love others, and spread the gospel. That we're supposed to be doing this thing, this, this uh, great commission that Jesus gave in Matthew 28, to go into all the world and bapt, uh, baptizing all nations in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you to make more and better disciples. That's what the vision that we have is, and that is the mission that God has given us to do just that, to make disciples who love God, love others, and spread the gospel. We have a job to do, and guess what? There's a lot of people who will still believe. There's a lot of people that you know, a lot of people that I know, who will still come to faith if we will share our faith with them. It was an old saying, you know, you got to keep the faith, right? Keep the faith. No, don't keep the faith. Give it away. We need to be sharing our faith. We need to be telling people about Jesus. Because every day that he doesn't come back is another opportunity for someone to hear the good news that God loves them, that Jesus died for them, that their sins can be forgiven. Past, present, future, all their sins can be washed away. I had a good conversation with my elders this week, with Tony and John. We were talking about how uh, we're a come-as-you-are kind of a church. And uh, we, it was about a policy thing we were talking about. And we talked about how we're a come-as-you-are church, that everybody's welcome here. And we want everybody to know that, yes, indeed, everyone is welcome here. Regardless of sin, regardless of social status, regardless of uh, where you live, regardless of how you dress, everyone is welcome here. Whether you come in in, in blue jeans or a three-piece suit, whether you are a man, woman, or child, whether you uh, are an alcoholic, whether you are a drug addict, um, wh- whatever you're struggling with, everybody is welcome here. Everybody is welcome here. Everybody is accepted here. And we're all on a journey together to, to become more like Jesus, to become better disciples, to become more devoted, to become more fully sold out and fully surrendered to Jesus Christ. That as a family, we're going to work together and everybody has that opportunity. Everyone is welcome here. Hi. Please don't raise your hand if this is true, but I, I, I would venture to say that every single one of you at some point, hopefully today, has felt welcome here. And if not, then we need to talk because I need to, I need to uh, make you feel welcome because we want everyone to feel welcome here. We want everyone to know that you are loved and accepted by God and that when he puts his Holy Spirit in you, he is going to change you and he is going to make you more like Jesus. He is going to make you a better disciple of Jesus. And we're going to do that together. We want you to know that you are welcome here. For you folks watching on the internet this week, you know, maybe clicked on our website or something, clicked on Facebook and you're watching this. If you've never been here before uh, and you think maybe I should go check it out, you should come check it out. You should definitely, you, watching on the, on the video right now, you should come check this out. Because this is the place to be. And people do watch our videos, by the way, just so you know. To the tune of about 20 different video watches a week, at least, uh, people watch our videos. And they can see the back of your head right now. So. But uh, it is so important. Yeah. 
It is so important that we share our faith and that we tell people about Jesus. You know, he hasn't returned, but he will return. It's a promise. Revelation 22, uh, verses 12 and 13. Jesus said, Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Christ will return, and it may be soon. And that leads me to the second and final blank on your outline. It is the sureness of the Lord's coming. We talked about the slowness of the Lord's coming. We're going to talk about the sureness of the Lord's coming. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. This will finish the book for us. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's, here it is again, our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant, unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. We see that when Christ returns, the universe will be cleansed with fire. Everything that is tainted and marred by sin will be purified and cleansed with fire. And when's it going to happen? Don't know. But we're told how it will happen. It will be like a thief coming in the night. Now, if someone was going to come rob your house, they wouldn't you know, send you a letter in the mail to say, oh, by the way, On May 9th, uh, I'm going to come break into your house about 11.30 at night while you're sleeping, or should be sleeping. I know some of you, I see you on Facebook at 11.30 at night and wonder, why aren't these people in in bed? Then I say to myself, why am I not in bed? But they they don't send you an email. By the way, May 9th, 11.30 p.m. And if anybody's house gets broken into May 9th at 11.30 p.m., I apologize. I'm not a prophet. I'm not a seer, um, and I'm not going to break into your house, because, again, I sleep at 1130 at night. But, uh, you know, they're not going to send you an email. They're not going to send you a text. Uh, by the way, you know, LOL, I'm breaking into your house May 9th, 1130 p.m. It's going to come like a thief in the night. The thief comes when it's unexpected. When Jesus returns, it'll be a time when no one expects it. Jesus said it'd be like it was in the days of Noah. Think about the days of Noah for a minute. you got this guy, uh, 400 years old, building a boat. A big boat. Why isn't anybody else building boats? Why are they making fun of Noah? Why isn't anybody else building a boat? Because they didn't know. They didn't believe that it was coming. Noah told them about the flood. What are you doing? I ain't going to tell you. No, Noah's done. There's there's rains. It's going to rain. Flood's coming. What happens? Nobody builds the boat. Nobody else builds a boat. Why? It came unexpectedly. They weren't expecting it. When Jesus comes, it'll be like that. Like a thief in the night. It will be unexpected. You know what? The flood came. And so will Jesus. 
He will come and He will return. Just like people weren't building boats back then, people aren't turning to Jesus now. Why is that? Why aren't people turning to Christ? Maybe they don't feel the urgency. Maybe they don't feel the immediacy. Maybe they don't feel the imminency of Jesus' return. But He is coming back. He's the only way to be saved. And yet people still aren't turning to Him. Many may think, I've got time. I'll wait for the signs. I'll wait for this. I'll wait for that. Uh, I'm going to wait, and then I'll make a decision to follow Christ. Don't wait. It'll come like a thief in the night. Why wait to put in an alarm system if you know the thief is going to come at some point? Right? You take, care of the, you take care of it now. You do it now. Don't wait any longer. You know, maybe, maybe people say, it's not that, you know, I, I don't believe that he is coming back. I don't believe that the end is near. No, the end is near. Jesus said he would return soon. And when he does, that'll be it. He is bringing judgment with him. And he will come to judge the living and the dead. Perhaps we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing, though. Maybe we're not living as though Christ's return is imminent. You ever think about that? How are you living? How am I living? Am I living as though Jesus could return tomorrow? Am I living as though Jesus could return next week? Or 10, 20 years from now? How am I living? How are you living? Are we living like Christ would have us to live? Are we living lives that are pleasing to God? Are we living lives that are noticeably different than the people around us? You know, we need, to be re- we need to be reminded of Christ's return. People in Peter's day needed to be reminded of Christ's return. He gave them six character traits, six traits of, of ways that they were to be living. And I want to talk about those real briefly. If we're going to live as fully surrendered, fully devoted, fully sold out followers of Jesus Christ, there's six things that we got to do. The first thing is we've got to live holy lives. We have to live lives of holiness. And we talked about this in 1 Peter, what a holy life looks like. A holy life is a life that is set apart, that is different. It's like fine china or a, a fine tea set, one that you don't use every day. One that, you, you know, grandma's china sits in a china cabinet. Why? Because it's special. It is unique. It is to be set apart. It's not for every day. You don't eat sloppy joes off of grandma's fine china. At least you shouldn't. No, it's safe for special occasions. Christmas dinner when you cook the goose and you have figgy pudding. Nobody eating figgy pudding anymore? Okay. Cross that one off the next potluck list. Um, But we are to live differently. We are to be different in the way that we live. We are not saved so that we can take God's grace for granted. We are not saved with the expectation, oh, well, he's going to forgive me anywhere. Anyway, as though uh, it it didn't cost Christ anything. As though it didn't cost Jesus anything to die on the cross. It cost him everything. He gave up the glories of heaven to come to earth. He gave up up his very life. He gave up uh, his blood, his body. He died on the cross for it. It cost him everything to die for our sins. And yet sometimes we live as though it didn't cost him anything. Oh, it's no big deal. It is a big deal. Our sin is a big deal. Big enough that Jesus said, it's a big enough deal that I'll die for it. Because that's the only way it can be forgiven, is if I die for it. It was a big deal. It still is. We need to live lives of holiness. Set apart, special, unique, holy. Doesn't mean that we're better than everybody else. Doesn't mean that we look down our noses and go, hmm, yeah. No. It means we live lives that are pleasing to God and holy. Second character trait 
We live godly lives. This means to be reverent and devoted to God. Our life becomes an act of worship. That's what the word godly means. It means a life that is devoted and reverent and worshipful. It reminds me of Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, one of my favorite verses to quote. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. That everything we do is to be an act of worship to God. Everything we do is to, to praise God. Our lives have to become acts of worship. We are called to be completely devoted and completely sold out to the mission that God has for us. To the mission, to the purpose God has, has made Uh, has given to us to make disciples of all nations to take up the cross and follow jesus to love god to love others and to spread the gospel that is what we are called to do to share our lives to share our faith with those who are perishing with those who are dying in their sins we have a mission we have a purpose your life is not purposeless God has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life. He has given you a job. He has given you a mission. You have a great commission. And we all have this same great commission. We all have this same mission, this same purpose. And we are to be fulfilling our purpose. You know, we need to share our faith. We need to live lives that are worshipful and reverent out of love and respect for God. You want to test? You wonder, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't be doing this thing that I'm doing. If you wouldn't do it in a church building, you shouldn't be doing it anywhere. What people will say, what, don't lie in church? No, you shouldn't lie anywhere. What, just because you're not in a church building makes it okay to lie? Shouldn't cuss in church. Shouldn't cuss anywhere. Right? If you wouldn't do it in a church building, you probably shouldn't do it anywhere else. Think about it. It doesn't go for all things. You may not eat in your pew. And you have to eat. But if it's sinful, if you, if you have a conviction over whether or not you should be doing some kind of sinful act or shouldn't be doing some kind of sinful act, if it's sinful, you think, well, you shouldn't do that in church. We well, shouldn't do it anywhere. Because that goes for you, that goes for me, it goes for all of us. We are to live godly lives. We are called to worship God everywhere. If it's not worshipful to God, we shouldn't be doing it. We are called to worship God everywhere everywhere the third character trait is to we are to be spotless spotless we are to live lives of righteousness that's what spotless means to live a righteous life to be innocent to be spotless Um, you and me we know that we're sinners we know that we've fallen short we know that we've missed the mark in james chapter 3 verse 2 it says that very thing it says that um, we know that we are sinners. We know that we don't do the things that we should do. We know that we uh, don't do the things that, that we should. We, don't, we do the things that we shouldn't. Uh, but we must not give up and say, well, nobody's perfect. Oh, well, nobody's perfect, so I guess I'm just going to have to you know, do what i got to do, and, and I'll just you know, trust that and pray that God will forgive me. No, that's not how we're to live. We are to live spotless lives. We don't sin all over the place as though, like I said, it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. It cost Jesus his life. We should strive to be spotless. Peter says to make every effort to be spotless. It goes along with the fourth one, blameless, to live blameless lives. 
to be lives that live lives that are free from accusation. In 1 Peter 2.12, he wrote, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. We are to live lives that are blameless so that if somebody were to accuse you of something, the, the charges wouldn't stick. That if somebody said, Oh, I saw, you do, uh, I saw them do this. I, saw, I heard them say that. And somebody else would say, no, there's no way. They would never say that. They would never do that. I know them. That's called living a blameless life. The people can accuse you of doing the wrong thing, and everybody around you goes, nope, I, they would never say that. She would never do that. He would never, he would never do that. That's living a life free from accusation. The charges don't stick. The fifth character trait is to be at peace with God, to live a life that is at peace with with God. How? We put our faith and trust in Christ for, for the forgiveness of our sins. We are reconciled through Christ's death and given peace with God. We need to make every effort not to live lives that live the lives that made us enemies with God in the first place. To do away with sin and to live as though we have peace with God. And finally, the last, the sixth one is to be on guard and alert. Be, uh, we are to be alert on those who may seek to lead us astray. To be alert and on guard for those who will teach false teachings. We talked about this last week when we talked about identifying false teachers. There are people who are greedy and they will teach and preach whatever people want to hear. They will teach and preach things that, as uh, the Bible says, that just scratch the ears of, of people who want to listen to them. And they will teach whatever they hear, uh, whatever people want to hear so that they can line their pockets. And the, the, the cure... The, the way to understand, to know the counterfeit from the truth is to know the truth, to study the Word, to be in your Bibles, to reading God's Word. And you'll be able to spot the truth, you'll be able to know the truth, and the truth will set you free. There was a, a runner from Spain. His name is Ivan Fernandez Anaya. And uh, he lost a race on December 2nd, 2012. And he got a lot of publicity because he lost this race. And you may be thinking, how do you get popularity? How do you get notoriety by losing a race? Well, here's the story. Uh, he was running second. And up ahead, he could see the, the leader quite a distance away. He was a runner from Kenya. And he could see that way up ahead, this, he was going to lose the race. He was going to come in second. And then all of a sudden, he noticed that the, the runner from Kenya stopped about 10 meters shy of the finish line. And this Spanish runner realized that the Kenyan runner didn't know where the finish line was. And now, I know for, my, for me, it would be like, I'm going to win this race. That's not what Anaya did. He ran up to the Kenyan runner and even though they didn't speak different, they spoke different languages. They couldn't understand each other. He started making hand gestures and tried to encourage him to run and finish the race. And he helped him cross the finish line. First, he helped him cross the finish line. Communicated to him the fact that he didn't know where the finish line was. And instead of speeding past him and claiming a, a victory, he stayed behind, and he let the Kenyan runner cross the line and finish first. And he came in second. You know what? Time is running out. 
the days are running short and there are a whole lot of people who are running a race but they don't know where the finish line is. They don't know where the finish line is. They're not going to make it to heaven. They can't see the finish line. And that is the true finish line is when we all get to heaven. Part of our job as Christians is to help people find and cross the finish line. Don't let the people that you know miss it. Jesus will return, and anyone who has not crossed the finish line is going to lose. And we cannot let this happen. We cannot let it happen. We have to help people find the finish line. You and me, we know where it's at. We're like the runner from Spain. We're going to cross it. We're going to cross that finish line. And we're going to make it home. And we're going to spend eternity with Jesus. But there are people that we know who are not going to cross that line. And they think, oh, I've got it all together, or I've got all the time in the world, or it doesn't matter. But it does matter. Jesus will return, and we know it. And we must tell others and help them cross the finish line so that by God's grace they will be saved. We can help people cross the finish line. We can help people win the race. And we'll all cross it together. The challenge that I have for you today is to live a noticeable life. Live a life that makes a difference so that people stand up and take notice. So that people will see how you live and they will want to know, why are you so different? Why do you live the way you do? And the answer is, what you can tell them is it's because of Jesus. He makes the difference in my life. He makes the difference for eternity. And He is coming back, my friends. We are living in the last days. And He will return. And He will return soon. So let us live the lives that we ought to live. Because we know He's coming back. Heavenly Father, as we consider and ponder the fact that Jesus is coming back, I pray that you would help us to live lives that do please you, that you would help us to live lives of holiness and righteousness, that we would live lives that are spotless and blameless, that we would live lives that are worshipful and reverent. God, I, I thank you for the words of Peter and the challenge that he has given us today to remember that Jesus is coming soon and that we are living in the last days. Help us to be very purposeful and intentional about sharing our faith. And I pray that today you would give us an opportunity, that this week we would have an opportunity to invite somebody to come to worship, or we'll have an opportunity to share our faith, to tell somebody about the hope that we have. We give you all the praise and glory. We give you all the honor, and we ask that, God, you would bless our lives this week as we go about seeking to fulfill the purpose and mission you have for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name.